teachers, I'm Carly Walton, and this is the Teach Music Online podcast, your number one resource for innovative online music teaching. You are listening to episode number 42, Secrets to a Professional Piano Studio with Noreen Wenjin. In today's interview, you will hear an amazing discussion I had with the wonderful Noreen Wenjen. Noreen is a leader in the music education world and has excelled in helping specifically in the areas of music business and integrating technology. You have likely heard of her popular book, Two Year Waitlist, which was published in 2019. Teachers around the globe have benefited from her instruction on not only running a professional piano studio, but also on creative marketing, which I love. I was so thrilled that Noreen agreed to come join me on the Teach Music Online podcast. In our discussion, you'll hear about her transition from the business world or from going from the business world to running a highly successful piano studio. We also talk about studio policies, tuition rates, studio events, and so much more. There is so much packed into this episode, and I know that you're going to love it. Before we dive in, I wanted to remind you that you can still access my workshop, How to Double Your Studio Income Without Wasting Money on Ads directly on my website, which is teachmusic.online. And then for the training, it's teachmusic.online forward slash training. In this one hour training, you'll hear my step-by-step instructions for creating a studio that students want to join. Whether you're planning to continue with online lessons or not, there is so much to gain in this session. I have several times available at teachmusic.online forward slash training. Okay, let's dive into my discussion with Noreen. Hi, Noreen. Welcome to the Teach Music Online podcast. Thank you so much for taking some time to join me today. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm so glad we could have this collaboration. Let's start with how long you've been teaching, where you're located, and what you enjoy about teaching the most. I know that that's a lot. There's a lot in there, but I want to introduce you a little bit more to our teachers. Well, I can't believe it, but it has almost been 30 years since I began teaching. And the interesting thing is I actually call myself the accidental piano teacher because I never set out to become a piano teacher, but it has been the most wonderful, marvelous career. And um, I've been teaching as only an independent, private studio owner. And I actually had two studios for most of my career. Um, My second studio was out of my mother's home in Seal Beach, California, and I live in Torrance, California. Um, She passed last year, so now I just have my one studio in Torrance, and I'm just a couple miles from the beach in Southern California. So you say that you didn't originally intend on having a studio or teaching. Can you tell us what that career change looked like for you or what that shift was for? Sure. I started performing competitively from the age of five, and I just always loved uh, music and performing. And it was actually accidental in a play date where I joined somebody for an impromptu play date at a city college where you got to put on headphones and have group classes. And I just came in and I came back and I said, oh, my gosh, mom, I really want to take piano lessons. So it just kind of happened. And I performed competitively all the way until I was about 28 years old. But when it came to that juncture and I was going to college, my teacher said, well, do you want to go to a conservatory? Is that, you know, that's kind of the path that a lot of the students in her studio took. Very serious studio with a lot of competitors. And I said, you know, 
there's so many other things that I want to learn about. I, I'm interested in, in business and I, I really think I want to go into business. And so I ended up, instead of choosing a conservatory, going to UC Santa Barbara because I wanted a liberal arts education. And so I'm a little unusual I think a little different from most piano teachers because I really thought I was going to go into business and I actually worked in business and marketing and technology for several years for two uh, global Fortune 500 companies, you know, before and alongside of becoming a music teacher. So I've just got a different background, but it has been a blessing being a music teacher. I love it. Oh, that's amazing. I that makes a lot of sense <laughs> that you have this business background that you worked with those companies because a lot of what you do in helping teachers is has to do with business and has to do with the legal side of things. Um, wow, that is so cool. So there's and there's two parts to that is that, you know, my sister is actually an entrepreneur and she started um, with a few kids out of college in a Harvard dorm room, they started a company that became a Fortune 500 company. And I used to, it was the very first Macintosh temporary agency. And I used to work for them during their startup days. So whenever they couldn't find a temp, a person to send in, my sister would just say, I'll send in my sister. I know somebody. And they'd say, well, does she know this, 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 and this? And she'd say, of course she does. Well, I didn't always know all those things, but back then they had an 800 number helpline. And so I learned a lot of my early computer skills, uh, PageMaker, Word, Excel, back in the 80s and 90s on the job. Oh, that's great. And sometimes that's the best way to learn because you get to figure it out and figure it out the right way. <laughs> exactly. It was fun, challenging. You spend so much time training and helping teachers run a professional studio. Can you explain or tell us why you're passionate about helping other teachers? You know, I have been so fortunate. Uh, I've had access. I've had just wonderful, caring music teachers my whole life. And I've had very exceptional ones. About three of them, if you follow the family tree lineage, go, they go all the way back to Bach, believe it or not, Liszt, Beethoven, um, three of my very famous teachers, uh, Joanna Hodges, who ran an, who had her own international piano competition out of Palm Desert for over a decade, and Dr. Stuart Gordon, who still teaches at USC, and Peter Yazbek from Santa Barbara. Their backgrounds are just phenomenal, and I've I've had not only mentors in music and piano. But I've also, since I've had it in business as well, and then I've also, I also think a really important piece about becoming a music teacher and really getting yourself out there is volunteering. And I don't think that all the teachers look at it as, uh, as an important factor, but I started volunteering the first year that I became a music teacher. I joined the National MTNA organization, and at that point I was in Washington. I joined a state organization. And a lot of the ways that I learned was basically on the job training, just like being a temporary, you know, a temp, a temp right, for business. And so when I when you help out with something, you not only learn about it, you can put your students into it, and then there's someone helping you run it. 
and then you get this instant mentor. So I'm trying to give back now because um, it's it's led me to many leadership positions. I was the past president for the California Association of Professional Music Teachers, and now I'm going to be an incoming board member in a couple, uh, maybe I think it's next year, for the Music Teachers National Association. And I haven't gotten there myself. A lot of people have helped me along the way, and I just want teachers to be able to not just survive, I want to help teachers thrive because I think that if you can do this full time and feel like you can be successful and not have to fall back on all these different things, you will really be a successful music teacher and you can just put all your focus in in teaching and, and what we love to do. There's so much joy that comes from when from running a studio that thrives like in that way. There there can be overwhelm initially or confusion or you know, trying to figure out all of the logistics of running a business. And I, I can relate so much to feeling like I've been given so much knowledge and training from other businesses, not just teaching, that it makes sense to want to share that and give that to other teachers because you know, if, if this helped me, it's, it's going to be able to help other teachers as well. It's funny because I used to always feel a little bit like a fish out of water because I didn't go through, you know, a typical conservatory path. And the way I ran my business was always even different from the way my mentors ran their businesses. And sometimes they would say things like, well, you know, you can't charge more than a person with this type of degree or you can't, you know, they would tell me what I could and couldn't do, but then I just created my own boundaryless way of doing things and it, it just worked out. I thought, well, why? Why do I have to charge 50% of somebody who is taught, you know, double the time? Like, wh wh why? Who says that that's the way it should be? So, you know, when I started my, when I started my studios, I really started it not as a business, uh, not as a, an ordinary music teacher would would run there, not as a typical way, I should say. Mm -hmm. I didn't run it as a typical music teacher. I ran it more in the spirit of an entrepreneur and just ran with it. Okay, we're gonna shift a little bit to talking about studio policy. I would love to hear three things. You have a, a lot of things I know that you're adamant about teachers including. I would love to hear to start with three things that you always recommend teachers include in their policy. Okay, now three is not very many. And I will start by telling you that my husband is um, part of law enforcement, he's a prosecutor. And so I've always been very careful about you know, staying within the guidelines, making sure that I have the right licenses, making sure my coverage is, that everything is legal and legitimate. legitimate. And every time I came into a problem, I would add it to my studio policy. So this is how it became nine pages long. <laughs> And while I don't think that everybody needs to have such an extensive studio, studio policy, it just saves me from headaches. And so that's why I actually sell it as a template and hundreds of people have used it. But the most important thing is, and, and these might, it was funny, I was having this discussion with my husband about, you know, what I thought was were the three important things and what he thought were the three important things. And they were so, they were very different. But what I think is very important is first of all, you have to have all of your expectations in front. 
the first thing, of course, is financial, because what's the first question everyone asks us when they want piano lessons? How much do you charge? But they don't ask, when is it due? Do you have late fees? How, you know, uh, how can I pay? So now we have all these different things that if you don't lay out in writing can be questionable or people interpret it their own way. Maybe it's due sometime in the month. Is it the first day, the 15th day? Is it due before the month starts? So I think you just need to be very clear about your business policies. And then another part is studio expectations. So when I talk to other parents in my studio and, and they'll say to me, you know, you're kind of interesting because if I ask my son or daughter, you know, what they think of you, they'll say, well, she's really nice. She's friendly. She's fun, but sort of has these like strict in a weird way. <laughs> and what they mean is that I set very high expectations for the students and they're not the same for every student, but I really try to get them to their level that I think that they can accomplish. And I think all teachers, we all try to do that. But I want to be very clear with the student that their part in the piano lessons is larger than their parents' part. These lessons are for them. So I actually have a special section just for piano students to sign. And if they can't yet write their name because they're three years old, they scribble a, whatever letter that they can write in. And the parents, you know, will read it to them. But it's about my studio expectation. As funny as it seems, I have in my studio that your nails need to be cut short. Because how many times are you, you have them come to lessons and you can't believe it, but they probably haven't cut their nails in since the last time you reminded them to cut their nails um, to the point where I feel like I had a little pedicure service going on in here. I would keep a pair of nail clippers and the parents trusted me enough to, to give them, <laughs> um, you know, nail clippings pre-COVID. Uh, and then I would lay out even for the students their expectations of um, whether there are adults or children, it's very important to let them know up front, do you expect them to perform in public? Do you expect them to memorize and play live in public? Because for my studio, it's a huge part of what we do because we have monthly live performance workshops. They've been on Zoom for the last year, but everybody's expected to do that. And sometimes you get adult students who will say, but I don't want to do that. And then I'll just have to say, well, that's actually a huge part of my program. Maybe it's not a great fit for you, but now they've read it in their studio policy. They can make a good decision you know, about that. Sorry. Do you take time to go through these expectations, like sitting down with them? Because it's one thing to have it in there and a totally other thing to actually allow a conversation to happen around those expectations. That is a great question. So for my studio, I do auditions, a virtual audition or a live audition, but I only do them when I actually have a time that I'm able to fill. So I don't do them for everybody who just calls or I would, I, I still am getting probably two to three calls a week for new students. So I, there's just not enough time. And as a lot of people know, just with inquiries, they can take a lot of time. So when I do set up an audition, I have a free audition and I usually set up at least 30 minutes and I send them the studio policy um, and we review. Uh, at some point I will send the, I will review things usually verbally. And then if they're gonna join, I send them the studio policy, but I go over everything in the studio policy. And then I 
also give them a little bit of a lesson because I want to see how they respond to my teaching and I want to see if they're going to enjoy it. I don't believe that every teacher is right for every student and I want them to have a choice. And I, and I tell them, look, you are auditioning me just as much as I am auditioning you. And I take beginners, so it's not like you need to, you know, have any special skills. I just want to make sure that we can connect and that you're going to look forward to seeing me every week. Because if you don't feel that energy, then you're going to find somebody else that's going to be a great connection, you know? Yes. I I I love so much the fact that you are going through those expectations before because I hear from so many teachers that take on a student and then they're so frustrated with the parent or the student or how many other things because they were too excited about someone enrolling to really think about, well, I I do need to consider that there might be a better student out there for me to teach or a higher quality or more committed and too often teachers sell themselves short and just try to fill their hours without really thinking about who do I want to spend my time with every week? You know, I don't want to spend my time with someone who, who doesn't want to be here. Yeah, and it's not a perfect system because, you know, sometimes it's difficult to judge what a student is going to be like. Often, I think when you interview a family, we often think that how the parents are is is how the students are. And sometimes they can be quite different. Sometimes the students can be very shy in the beginning and then or Sometimes when they come from a different place or a different studio, they even might be a little uh, defensive, like they don't want to let you know that they don't know things. But then when you work with them, you know, it's this whole other side. So I try to look at every student. You know, I was as I was uh, thinking about different questions and what we would discuss, it came to me that, you know, I don't know that I've ever told a student that they needed to quit from my studio believe it or not, in all of these years. It has always been that if it comes to that, it has been the student's decision, the students and the parents together. And it's always so much better that way because I'm never rejecting a student. It's just come to, to be a discussion about whether or not they're able to find time to put in the commitment, whether now piano's not a priority for them. And I thought, gosh, you know, I have taken on pretty much any student who's walked through my door and I have been blessed with working with so many types of students. Um, and for example, one time I got a call and uh, a mother said, you know, I have these two, two children and they're blind and we're looking for somebody closer because right now we're spending over two hours in the car. And do you think you could teach them? And I said, oh my gosh, I don't have any, um, actual like I don't know how to read braille I don't have any actual training in it I said but it's music I'll give it a try so it was really uh challenging and these and fun and I learned so much from teaching these students um you know I probably learned more than they did when they came to me I mean they learned about music but I learned about so much more because the mother was first of all the most patient woman that I've ever known so positive and these students were amazing they really showed me what persistence can do because they didn't have sight but they could do a perfect jump of two octaves and how did they do it they just practiced it like 50 or 100 times until their muscle memory was perfect. 
and they could you know feel the notes and know exactly the distance of it and um and my husband would come home from work and just say wow you know we, our, our joke is always that he weeds and i seed because he's the prosecutor and i'm teaching right and he just said wow it's just so beautiful to see you know um kind of working together and, and we're, we're learning you know we're all learning as teachers every time This week's review comes directly from Facebook from one of our TMO members, Anna Marie. She said, I am continually impressed with Carly and how she has grown this offer. She has a fabulous product to begin with, but if you move forward and also join the group, you'll be amazed at all the resources you have to work from and with. I highly recommend TMO. Teachers, if you've been listening to the podcast for a while and you've been wondering about the membership that I talk about all the time, please go to teachmusic.online forward slash invited to learn more. You can also always reach out to me. My email is hello at teachmusic.online. Okay, so we talked about financial expectations, <laughs> studio expectations slash student teacher expectation. What is your third if you have a third <laughs> Okay, policy. well, one, one thing that I think people do not uh, think is that important, and it almost seems like an uncomfortable thing to talk about when you're first starting a student, but you always need to tell the students how, what is expected and exactly how they need to end their lessons should they ever want to leave the studio. Because I feel like most teachers that come to me or that I mentor, the problem is that people quit and they are not prepared for that. Now they have a, a gap in their income. They don't have anybody. They don't have their wait list in place. They're not ready to put someone in. And this causes so much stress. So I think that every teacher needs to have in writing what their policy is when they need to leave, when a student wants to leave the studio. And they need to give themselves plenty of lead time so that they can audition new students and get them in there. It should be a very comfortable lead time, not like 48 hours, not even one week. Um, it, you know, for me, it's three weeks. So it's plenty of time for me to call someone off the wait list, schedule an interview, and then I have no gap at all. And it's funny because we think, oh, you know, our students are like our family. We don't, when we start teaching them, we don't ever think of them as leaving, right? But everybody needs to quit at some time. Either the kids are going to college, you know, um, adult students, sometimes they just, they get busy or at some point, you know, I actually did teach a student for 27 years once, <laughs> but, um, and he, unfortunately he passed in his, in his eighties, but you know, besides that, everybody, you know, and, and, and people will be respectful if you tell them up front and be sure to get it in writing because texting and voicemail, it's, it's, it's not um, in writing and it's difficult to prove and it's just the communication style is a little too casual. Yes, and, and I think one thing is teachers don't like conflict. Well, none of us want conflict yeah. or 
the thought of somebody leaving or canceling, we don't want to think about it. So maybe it's just one line at the bottom. But having those discussions up front is what saves you in the future. And it's something that you can fall back on. Can you explain a little bit about the three weeks? So that basically gives them the first week of the month, if that's your policy, to let you know so that you have the remainder of the month to fill that spot. Is that right? So I actually just put in place three months. Uh, I'm sorry, three. I actually have in place just three weeks notice and it can be from wherever they are. It doesn't have to be in a particular time. So the students can come to the lessons during those three weeks or they can pay for those lessons and not come to the lessons during that time. So either way, I'm covered because sometimes a student, you know, maybe something dramatic changed in their life or they, you know, they decided to move on to something else and they really don't want to finish the last week or two because they've started a new activity. There's a conflict in time now. And so they're okay with saying that was the commitment. I'm going to fulfill my commitment. And, you know, we really have to think of it in in terms of how other business people do it. Right. I mean, when if we if we have a, a long-term commitment with anybody a coach or or if you work in a job you can't just give them 48 hours notice and expect the company to run well right it's not really fair either way right well you are sharing a lot of expertise with us and i i want i want to ask a few other questions that i know will be just helpful for teachers to hear from somebody who has you know lived and learned how to do this in a professional manner. Um, two, two of the things that come up the most often are when to charge tuition, so how frequently and how often, and then makeup lessons. Um, those are both such uh, what's pain points for running a studio. So maybe share just a little bit about each one, what you've come to now in your studio after I'm sure changes throughout the years. So my, the way that I set up my tuition and my lessons is probably different from almost every music teacher. What I do is I include in that long studio policy exactly what's included. And a lot of teachers only account for their time sitting at the piano with the student. But because I have so many other performance workshops, I have eight performance workshops plus a recital every year. So, and I also have uh, a lot of outside activities. My students, I spend a lot of time outside of my lesson time analyzing videos, getting them ready for competitions, for auditions. There's a lot of other things that are included in, in my tuition. So I figured out a way to have a, the same monthly tuition that the students pay, no matter what is going on in the studio. And it's a bit of a complex, um, it, it includes a lot of different things. I mean, I think I talk about it in my book and I have it, um, and I've actually outlined it pretty, uh, pretty clearly in a, my online course. I have an online entrepreneurial course, but, but basically uh, it's important to have stability and consistency every month. You don't want to go from month to month saying, oh, you have three lessons here, so it's this much. Oh, here, there's five lessons here, it's this much. Oh, wait, there's a holiday. Is it a school holiday? Is it a this holiday? I mean, we can't spend all of our time, you know, chasing down every student and making sure that 
that everything is on all of our students' terms. Because if we're teaching 40 plus students, we just, we're never thinking about our own stability. So I'm very clear about when the breaks are and I give people lots of notice. I usually have everything planned almost a year in advance. And it's really important that you place priority on your studio and let them know how serious it is. And they will follow suit if that's the studio that you run. Regarding, um, were you asking me about makeup lessons? Yeah, well, and they kind of go together because you have this yes. package. And I mean, if you're paying the same amount each month, you're, you're there or you're not is what I'm assuming. But do you have anything that you do for emergency cancellations or things like that? I do. In fact, unlike most teachers, I give no makeup lessons because there came to a point where I was teaching six, six or seven days a week. Um, and I was teaching 45 plus students. I was teaching until probably eight in the evening. And there literally was no time to add in one more student. And at that, you can't. And at that point I thought, gosh, you know, if I even have two, three students ask for makeup lessons, where am I gonna find an extra two hours in my day? And at the same time, I was preparing for an artist diploma, memorizing 32 pieces. And I was like, there's no way I'm never it's never going to I can't fit it in. And so since I developed this wait list, I realized, you know what? I don't have to make up those lessons when I schedule a dental appointment and I give no cancellation notice. I pay for my dental appointment. I mean, I give that courtesy to every professional business person, whether it's a tutor, uh, whether it's a coach with private lessons. And I decided that I'm going to do the same thing. And so what's interesting is that when you tell students that you have a no makeup lesson policy, when during the audition, first they say, what, what, what? No, what do you mean? And I say, well, you know, I've reserved this time for you. Basically, if you cancel, I can't just like you know, magically get someone that's able to fit in that precise little time and place, especially with short notice. So that, you know, you'll be required to pay for that lesson. Now, whether you attend or not, that's, that's up to you. But the interesting thing is people say, wow, well, how does that work out? Do you get a lot of cancellations? No, I get almost no cancellations ever because the students will actually cancel the other things that don't have a cancellation policy as strict as mine. They will cancel their tutors that don't have that policy. They will cancel their other music lessons when they do second instruments and they make sure they get to mine because they're, they know they're paying for it and you know, they want to have the full value of the lessons. So I think that if the, the really important thing is placing value on your time. So I let them know my time is worth a lot to me and I've reserved this time for you. But now it goes both ways. You can't change around student lessons and cancel their lessons to do rehearsals or spend time with your kids at the beach because now they need a ride. I plan everything around those lessons and I've only canceled lessons, my husband says, two times. Once when I was about to have my baby and I had to cancel a workshop <laughs> because they came up three weeks early. And uh, I think the other time, maybe one, there was one other time, but I rarely ever cancel lessons and you know, and it's it's perfect now because with the ability of doing online lessons, um, it's the parents don't have to 
drop off the kids if they, you know, I've been online only, but I've been doing online for about nine years now. And so I, I've given them the option of, well, you don't have any, you can't drive yourself. We'll just, you know, back in those days, we would just call on FaceTime or, you know, we'd go on Skype or whatever it was. But I've given them options. I've even had lessons in the car, giving theory lessons on their cell phone. I mean, there's always a way you can you can learn something, right? Or they gave I give them an option of if you're going to miss your lesson, hey, record some videos and send it to me this week. I'll happily analyze those, you know, and, and it gets them to do a little extra work in the meantime. Oh, yeah. I, there's so much in here. I, I, I'm the same, no makeup lessons. And teachers, for some reason, they just cringe like, but I, I like my students and I want to be flexible and I don't mind moving things around. And in my mind, I'm going, then that means that you don't value your time. It, that's what that means. Because yes, we can be nice and we can be the teacher down the street or we can manage a professional studio. And they, like you said, will follow suit. They will just do what you say. And if they don't like it, they can go, they can cancel if they have, give you three weeks notice. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And I think that if more teachers would implement the no makeup way, that they're gonna see that they will get very few cancellations, if ever. Their students will actually get more lesson time in the end. And they will not drive themselves crazy trying to shift their life and schedule around every week to to make the demands of and and you know it's funny because sometimes they'll say well you know they're they they're canceling all these lessons because they you know a birthday party came up this week or you know or they decided that they want to go out of town on vacation, and I'm thinking, well then you know, I'm accommodating your whole vacation that just came up you know, it's um. It's, it's mutual respect both ways, and it really works beautifully. I mean, I am so fortunate. I I've, I've have wonderful families. They're very respectful of my time, and I am of theirs. You know, we just, we have a mutual respect, and I think if you run things professionally, you don't lose that. Yes. I want to talk about your book, To Your Waitlist, which, by the way, I love the title. I think it's so, <laughs> such a great marketing title, To Your Waitlist, because what a dream to have a two-year waitlist for your studio. Tell us about what inspired the book and a little bit about what teachers can expect when they read it. Oh, thank you so much. So the the full title is To Your Waitlist, an Entrepreneurial guide for music teachers and that came about because early in my career you know I've actually had to start up studios about three or four times you know every time you move you've got to build a new studio and when I moved from being in Washington and I moved back to California uh, I had to start up the studio again and you know you, you start with zero students right and then you you build I was fortunately able to build very quickly because I had the second studio also in Orange County and I was able to gain a two-year wait list in a very short period of time. But it took a lot of marketing. And I used all my marketing skills that I had. I mean, I there's, there's so many ways to get your name out there. And I think that a lot of teachers um, don't take the time to do that. Again, they think that their reputation with the current students they have is enough. Um, I put out ads in parenting magazines back then that were not, you know, online. And 
I, what I came to realize is not everybody gets a two-year wait list. And it has really been the secret to being so stable with a stable income. I mean, I'm married now with two kids and, you know, my husband is employed. So I, I, I have the luxury of having that second income. But I want single income teachers to be able to survive and thrive on their own. And I could do that now. I mean, you know, it's not easy as a as a music teacher, but I could absolutely, um, you know, support the family. But I want other teachers to have that. So I I started that book because I wanted to point out things that most teachers don't think of. Things that I don't know what it is about music teachers. I think that it's a very humble wonderful career path and they don't like to brag about themselves and talk about themselves you know we're great talking about our students or other music teachers but we need to let other people know our value again it comes down to value right so whether you have multiple degrees national certifications your own podcast, you know, whatever you have going for you, you need to get it out there. And so I, I, I wrote the book to share different tips along the way that I've, that I've picked up. And um, it was interesting because my publisher, uh, unexpectedly, my publisher actually has a music background and she herself is a music teacher. And so when I first pitched it, I didn't realize she was a, she had such an extensive music teacher uh, music teacher background, um, Valerie from Audrey Press, and she said, "Oh my gosh, this is the book that has never been written that needs to be <laughs> out there. Oh my goodness, yes, we're gonna publish it, and it needs to get out there to music teachers." Oh, that's so cool! It's there's such a need for it, like you said, with teachers that for some reason. Sometimes we come with these, I think it's, it might be because of who taught us growing up and what we thought, what we internalized from what we've heard over the years. And, you know, we didn't go to business school or we didn't really get, have that mentor teach us ever um, how to get your name out there. And that's something we talk about so much with Teach Music Online is you're online, you have to show who you are online. You cannot expect any referral or anything or and, and then sit there and complain about not filling your studio when you're not even showing your value or proving to people that you are worth their time and that while that might sound harsh that's the reality of marketing right now in an online space and as well as in your community you know music teachers pop up everywhere but I love the overall vision that you present of creating a professional studio, a high value studio, one where you can charge what you what you want, you know, you're not apologetic for charging this amount. It's just I think so many teachers and I hope teachers listening that you are hearing ways to tweak. And while it might not happen overnight, there are so many ways as teachers we can tweak here and tweak there and make our way towards that overall professionalism that that we've heard from you <laughs> thank you and you know what your service is doing helping teachers bridge the gap to online teaching so well and everything that you cover has just so much value um, especially at this time and i love the way you have these snippets and to-do lists and like you said 
it doesn't happen overnight, but I think that if people really can listen to these podcasts to go through all of your materials in the list and you know, have a checklist, highlight things, check it off, have goals. We tell our students they need to set goals every week to practice this, to do this. As music teachers, we ha cannot forget about the business aspect. We should be, I always have a list. Either I have it on my iPad, on my computer, or I literally had, um, back in the day, I, I always kept journals. And my my wish list on there. Um, what was my target income that I was going to get for that year? How many students did I want to teach? What was my target goal? Because, you know, when you first start teaching, every student that comes in your door is like a blessing. You are just so excited to have anybody walk through that door. And I think you can make most students your ideal student, you know, working with them if if they really, really want to learn. Now it's, you know, not 100% will be able to reach the level that you want, but I think it's really important to give people a chance and to put your expectations. I always say, write it down and say it out loud. It's amazing what you put out there and what comes back to you. So set your goals and expectations daily, weekly, monthly, but for your business, not just for your students. Yes. Oh, this has been so, so good. I think we could talk all day long, <laughs> go through all of I the I would topics. love to. <laughs> We're going to have to meet live when this is all, yes. when the COVID is all cleared up. Where can teachers find you and tell us about your, you have two books, is that right? Your two books, well, I your have... course and your studio policy. Or so I decided <laughs> instead of launching the other uh, book as a, an actual paper book, um, uh, my publisher actually suggested that I do an online course instead because video is just so accessible now. So I have an entrepreneurial crash course for music teachers that um, is live now. And um, you can find me at wenjinpiano.com and you can get a lot of free tutorials for music teachers. And also um, your students can have, there's some ear training and different things on my YouTube channel at Wenjin Piano. I'm on, and I'm also on um, Insta and Pinterest and uh, Facebook. I have a couple pages under at to your wait list and Wenjin Piano. And um, you can you can uh, send me an email and find me from my website. I don't know how you have time for it all, but we we find ways to make time, right? <laughs> I should say the same for you, Carly. <laughs> Oh, there's just yes. and and the list goes on, right? I'm sure on your iPad somewhere you have that to-do list of all the other things you're you are currently creating and wanting to create. <laughs> I actually am working on um, a a special project for my students right now that I'm going to open up to other teachers, a 10-day practice challenge. So that's been kind of oh, fun, cool. filming some different things. I'm trying to make it very integrative and you know just innovative and. I know that not everybody wants to be on a screen more, but now that we're so used to learning that way, it's kind of fun, I think, to have, a, almost feel like you're having a conversation with somebody. Great, well, thank you, Noreen, so much. This was so fun. <laughs> Thanks so much for inviting me, Carly. I hope that we can do a follow-up at another time. Who is your business coach? If you don't have one, I would be so honored to be your coach. I created a virtual course and coaching membership called Teach Music Online that I want to invite you to join me in. 
with 60 plus videos, online teaching certification, monthly live group sessions, hundreds of hours of recordings, and online forums, you'll know exactly how to create a thriving online business that gives you the flexibility and freedom that I know you deserve. Plus, you'll have the support of hundreds of like-minded teachers along the way. So when you're ready to really take what you're learning on this podcast to the 10x level, then come check out the Teach Music Online membership at teachmusic.online forward slash membership. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that you have an amazing week and as always, happy teaching.